If you could create one powerful change at work, what would it be? Would you change the way oncologists view your role and develop a successful head and neck cancer program for patients before, during, and after their treatment? Maybe you would change the way your clinical director values your services and gets them to approve funding for tools and continuing education the same way they fund PT and OT. Or maybe you would change the way oral care and thickened liquids are managed at your facility and be the reason behind reducing rates of aspiration pneumonia thanks to the protocols you implement. Whatever the change may be, I have good news. You can make it happen in the next six months. You're invited to join the Changemakers Collective, a strategic mentorship program Starting this June, I'm looking for medical SLPs who want to make some serious change at work or in their community, the kind of change that has a ripple effect. Throughout the six-month program, you'll develop a tangible goal and receive step-by-step guidance to achieve that goal. Don't have a specific goal in mind yet, but know that something needs to change. Our mentors can help you iron out the details. This includes 18 group mentor calls for advanced ASHA CEUs, templates, a private community, and high-touch support for high-level goals. Go to www.medslpcollective.com forward slash changemakers to learn more. Again, that's www.medslpcollective.com forward slash changemakers. On this episode of the Swallow Your Pride podcast, we have Lisa Johnson back again. She received her master's degree in communication sciences and disorders from the University of Minnesota Duluth. She's an SLP clinical mentor and rehab program development specialist. She holds her ASHA C's and is a member of ASHA Special Interest Group 13. She's a member of the Twin Cities Speech-Language Pathology Organization. She's a MedSLP Collective mentor and has 15 years of experience as an SLP. She's a certified dementia-capable care trainer, positive approach to care dementia educator, and Alzheimer's outreach mentor. Lisa sits on the Leadership and Corporate Sponsors Board for Dementia Action Alliance, the Evidence-Based Practices Committee for Faith Community Nurse Network, and is a collaborative program partner for ACP and ICAA. Her clinical focus includes work with subacute care facilities, transitional care units, rehab and skilled nursing facilities, home health and outpatient clinics focusing on interdisciplinary program development, CMS regulations and requirements across care settings, and patient and clinician education. to the Swallow Your Pride podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Richard. I'm a board-certified specialist in swallowing and swallowing disorders and founder of the MetaSLP Collective and MetaSLP Education. This podcast is dedicated to delivering the latest evidence-based practice to medical SLPs everywhere, while also recognizing that medical SLPs everywhere are doing the best with what they've got. Whether you are a new clinician seeking tangible tools for therapy or a seasoned vet stuck in a rut, my goal is simple, to help you advance your practice without feeling overwhelmed or underappreciated. This means that together we'll build confidence, broaden your knowledge, and reignite your passion for our field. So if you're listening, I encourage you to swallow your pride and be open to new ideas because at the end of the day, you and your patients deserve that kind of support. With that, let's dive in. Good afternoon, my friend. Hello, how are you doing? Wonderful. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So so Lisa's been on the show a few times and I and she was sort of the reason that we started all this madness. So now I'm bringing her back on, but she was on a few episodes ago about, you know, talking about productivity and it's just this dreaded dreaded word because it always has this horrible connotation in our facilities and and does it really need to, right? And so I wanted to to sort of not not reframe the conversation, but really educate SLPs more on 
what does it really mean? And how can we, how can we make it not this big bad word? How can we help it work to our advantage? How can we learn the system so that we can optimize it, maximize it? So we are doing, uh, for the MedSLP Collective, we are doing a free workshop starting February 19th, um, all about productivity. And we put together a productivity playbook that you can download now. You can go to metaslpcollective.com forward slash productivity, and you can download it, or you can DM the word productivity to me at SLP on Instagram, and you will get that. And yeah, that's really what we wanted to talk about is just how can we make this not the worst word ever, but sort of change the narrative into how we can make it work better for us. And and Lisa, I'll let you give a little introduction of you and your current job and why you love all these things that most of us really hate talking about. So <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I've been an SLP in the adult geriatric setting, primarily skilled nursing facilities for over 15 years now. Um, my background, I worked in skilled nursing before I was an SLP. Um, I have family members who are state and federal surveyors. So a lot of background knowledge in really what makes skilled nursing tick and where some of those risks, benefits, conversation starters are. Um, you know, I had a very interesting trajectory in my early career, moved into management very quickly and then into a regional compliance role. So really got to see the inner workings, the background of what happens in the rehab world, specifically in skilled nursing, but also home health outpatient practices for what does billing look like? What do things look like when our therapists don't really understand all of the little nuances that go into their daily operations and how it impacts the patient ultimately? And productivity is definitely one of those areas where if we don't have a good understanding of it and we continue to have conversations about all oh, the big, bad productivity, it, it actually does a disservice to our patients and to ourselves as SLPs, as a profession. Um, and so I'm very excited that we get to talk about productivity. We're having this workshop. I just got to see the, um, the productivity playbook and it has such amazing user-friendly information in it. So very excited that we get to talk about this more. Yay. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. And and so one of the things when we were putting together the the workshop is is sort of talking about all of these different, you know, settings that we work in. Cause I know that there's there's inpatient, there's hospital SLPs, there's nursing home SLPs, there's home health SLPs, there's outpatient private practice, there's all these different things. And we all have to sort of abide by these same similar guidelines. And and so for me, like I always think knowledge is power, right? We have to understand where productivity comes from. And that was the last episode that Lisa did. So please go check that out. Um, and, and just knowing how productivity is calculated in your facility is number one paramount in the first place, because what we found is that there's so many discrepancies between what you might or how you might think productivity is calculated and how the EMR actually calculates it. And sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong, sometimes they're on the same page, sometimes they're on different pages. So you have to understand that before you can even advocate for change. And I think that's where we all struggle is like, well, my facility expects 90% productivity and I don't even have time to go to the bathroom, let alone think about how we can change that, right? So you have to understand the process before you can then go ahead and change it. But one of the things I wanted to bring Lisa on for in this specific episode is we've had some big changes in Medicare with some of the, the um, 
I'll let you talk about it more, Lisa, but we can now bill for actual caregiver training. And I think this is such a huge, this is huge. And I know as someone, as, as a mom, and, you know, I'm constantly talking to my son's therapist and things like that, like, it's insane to me that this was never able to really be billed before because the important, the important part, and I keep saying, I'll at least talk about this, but I promise I will at least talk about this is <laughs> some of these conversations you cannot have with the patient. And I, and I don't say that in, in that we want to exclude the patient and we want to do something in a roundabout way. That's not it at all. But especially those of us that, that work with maybe patients with dementia, or they may have a different understanding of how their diagnosis affects them versus how it affects the family dynamic, which can be very different. Um, and, and our job is to really help both, right? We want to help yeah. the patient, but we also want to help the patient stay in their natural environment and equip the family and the caregivers with the tools to best support them to remain in that environment. So I'm I'm so thrilled. I'm just so tickled that this this has finally come down the pike. And I'm going to let Lisa talk about really the the nuances of it, because there are some nuances. So yeah, I will I will stop saying I'm going to let you start talking and I will actually let you start talking. So no, I'm... <laughs> I, I love the passion for it. You know, as someone who is a care provider and also a, a therapist, you have a different side of looking at things and how critically important these new rules are for us, these new CPT codes that we get to use. And that, you know, thankfully, ASHA, APTA, and AOTA have been advocating for us for years, and they've finally got the American Medical Association to approve these three CPT codes. Um, so I'm very excited that that went through and it really just gives more weight and just more importance to what we do on a daily basis and how much time we actually do spend educating the care partners. Um, one of the big things we want to look at when we're talking about care partners, especially in relation to this code, and CMS went back and forth. Um, there were a lot of calls, a lot of discussion and feedback on what is a care partner? What is a caregiver? When the code um, final rule initially came out, there was some confusion. There was not a definition provided, and it left us wondering, okay, what does this mean for our time? But CMS did come out. They did define the caregiver as an adult family member or individual who has a significant relationship with and provides a broad range of assistance to the individual with a chronic or health condition, disability, functional limitation. So it's really important that we're looking at this and looking at the, the definition of caregiver or care partner a little bit differently. Oftentimes we'll throw around the term caregiver and we mean the nurse, the CNA, the culinary aide, the volunteer who came in, the family member. In this specific instance, when we're talking about the caregiver training codes, those new CPT codes, it's the unpaid caregivers that we're looking at. So this isn't for nursing, this isn't for our CNAs or our dietary and culinary team members. This is truly the family members, the neighbors who come over and help, maybe the church community support group that they're with. So looking at that a little bit differently and uh, being more conscious of who we're training and why we're training them. So giving it a little bit more thought, as I know a lot of us do, it's in our heads, but now we have to just document the why we're training these individuals. Why is it critically important for the patient's plan of care to ensure that they meet their goals? Um, and I'm very excited with the way that these codes have come forward. 
For PT and OT, it's going to be pretty easy peasy. They are timed codes for two of them, and then one is an untimed group code. So two of the codes are individual codes. They are 30-minute and then 15-minute increment codes. And for SLPs, that might be something you need to wrap your head around a little bit because that's not often how our codes are. We have a lot of untimed codes. So I would recommend just getting yourself familiar again with those eight-minute rules, with the timed-based coding and what that means, because that's going to impact how you schedule your caregiver training and also where you put it within your plan of care. Um, yeah, so I can go through what the codes are. You'll learn a lot more about them during the productivity workshop and then also with the playbook as well. But essentially, the three new codes are 97550, 97551, you're billing them under whichever treatment code you've normally been using. But when the patient is not present, that's when these codes come into play. And it's really exciting. And I'm hoping we're going to see some changes in some of the practices of our organizations with these codes and kind of the billing pieces on them as well. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit? I, so I was when I when I was going through the playbook and I was editing some things and I, you know, I was doing all my magic behind the scenes. I, I was a little confused about the group codes. So so with that group code, it is not. So it's not it's per patient. Right. And it's not the amount. It doesn't matter the amount of caregivers that are there. Just sort of clarify that that, that was a little muddy for me. Yeah, definitely. And we went over this as a team, really dove into it to make sure we understood it before we taught and educated our therapists and our team members. And the way the 97552 group caregiver training code is written, it's based on the individual patient. So all of the codes are based on the patient number. So for example, if you have Betty as your patient and Betty has two daughters, and you are working on maybe cognitive recall compensatory strategies that family members can implement. And then you have a patient, Sue, and she has six children. You want to educate their families to make sure that they're all on the same page, understanding the progression of the disease process, strategies they can use at home. So you have all eight of these individuals in a group together but you're only treating two patient plan of cares. So you're only billing for the number of patients represented, not the number of individuals in the actual group. So it's a little bit different in that instance. You could have one caregiver for one patient. You could have 50 caregivers for one patient, but it's still based on the number of patients represented by their entire family or caregiver support group. So, so, so that code would be more for like a support group type setting. That Potentially, to be like, yes. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, and awesome. I've seen it Which used, put... yeah, I've seen it used quite a bit. Um, I know we've used it. Most recently, we have an AAC support group. So we walk through with family members 
How can they initiate and facilitate conversations? How can they troubleshoot and problem solve some of the nuances that our eye gaze devices have? But they have to be able to do that without the patient present. So we physically have the family members in front of the devices and we'll have a group support session together. Um, and then yeah. you're filling the code once per patient represented for that. And it's yes, untimed, right. so spend as much time as you want. <laughs> yeah, cool. Well, that's, a, I mean, I feel like that's a huge game changer for support groups now. Yeah. Like support groups, is. like we know how, how rich they are. Like we know how incredible support groups can be and to now be able to get reimbursed for that, I think is, is phenomenal. Yeah. And, you know, a, a lot of thought process does go into utilizing these codes on the back end. So as the evaluating and treating therapist, we want to make sure that not only are these CPT codes represented in our evaluation and plan of care, but we're also documenting the clinical and skilled rationale and necessity for utilizing this type of treatment approach. Um, and depending on the software system you have, you're going to have to get friendly with your software system to make sure it comes out correctly on the other end. I know some of them, they have just little check boxes. Other, you have to free type an entire narrative as to why you have that skilled rationale. Um, but very important that you have it documented in the plan of care. It can't be an afterthought of, oh, Susie's daughters are here. Let's do caregiver training. It needs to be a pre-planned, purposeful part of the plan of care to meet a current goal and objective that the patient has. Okay, yeah, and that, that's a great point. That was actually going to be my next question. Is there sort of like a a minimum or a maximum that you can use this code? And I say this because I know for my son, for um, for his therapy, for insurance to cover it every month, I have to do I have to do one thirty minute session with his therapy team of just pure caregiver training in order for insurance to cover it. So. That got me thinking, I wonder if there might be something like that coming down the pike for this, or if there already are any sort of minimum or maximums that, that are already in place. Yeah, so that's an excellent question. And we're really waiting for some more information and interpretation to come down, especially since a lot of the LCDs haven't been updated with their terminology. And we know that usually the max update first and then we start to see the private insurances and the Advantage plans update after that. Right now, the way that AMA and CMS have written the codes, they are considered sometimes use codes. And that's put in quotations um, in their documentation. So basically what they're saying is it's up to the skilled clinician to make the determination of the number of times that this code is going to be used but it also should not be used like our other daily usage treatment codes. Um, and again, that planned, thought out, you're documenting when you have these codes in use, you're also documenting why you need to be using them more than once. So did the caregiver demonstrate carryover? Do they need additional hand-over-hand -hand treatment? Um, are they demonstrating and recalling the information safely? Maybe the patient is somebody with a progressive diagnosis or they have continual changes and advancements in their plan of care where ongoing training is needed. So just making sure that we are documenting the why to support the rationale for the number of occurrences. 
just like we would normally with our frequency, um, but do know that this is considered a sometimes usage code, which is not clearly defined at all. Yeah, but I think it's it's great, right? Like, I mean, I think of so many times that it's just like, we've made so much progress with this patient. Let's make sure we bring the family in and, and you know, tell them where, we're, where we've made progress, where we'd like to go. And then before you know it, that takes up an entire hour on a Friday afternoon and your DOR is like, what the heck did you do all day? Your productivity is absolutely terrible. And you're like, I literally spent it with the patient and their family doing the most like realistic work we could possibly be doing. So right. I think right. that's where this, this really can be such a game changer for our productivity because this is so much of what we do. And and thank you for clarifying that it has to be pre-planned because I think that's so important. And I, I know I was reading in the playbook too, it can't just be like a conversation, you know, during transition or bringing the patient back to their room. It does have to be pre-planned and that's fine. I think yeah. I appreciate that as a caregiver because I sort of have to get mentally prepared for these conversations too. Like I don't like being, I don't like being just information dumped on me when it's really sort of a sensitive subject, to right. be honest. Like I have to prepare myself for like, okay, this might be a hard conversation. I might not be ready to hear this. I might not be ready to know what's next. And so it's, I like to be prepared for these conversations too, as opposed to just having somebody come, you know, dump on me what, what's going on. So right. I, I just think there's so many, so many good, good things that can come of this. So what, what are we still muddy on? You said that we're still waiting for more clarification from some of the LCDs on a few things. Yeah. So Usually when the LCDs come out, um, they, they're fairly consistent following that AMA terminology. Um, occasionally we'll see additional definitions put in restricting number of visits or saying that you can bill it with this code, but not that code. We haven't seen any of that come through yet. Um, so I think it's going to really depend on how we as clinicians start using the code and the volume at which we start using it in a skilled manner. And that's going to dictate a lot of what comes through with those reviews. Um, really making sure that, you know, as you had mentioned, it, we're not dumping this code it, just to have it, but we want to have that pre-thought, pre-planned, and really good rationale for why we have the code. I usually like to say it's a great code, especially when you have a patient who is a little bit more acute. You're not really sure what that discharge plan is going to look at. You're involving the family from the get-go. Have those codes in place so you can utilize them. What I see happen and what we've been going through with our teams, especially this month, is we've had to update a lot of our plan of care. So we've had to call a lot of insurance companies and say, hey, we're adding this. CMS and AMA have approved this code. We're adding it into our plan of care. And then we're purposefully scheduling those sessions. Um, because what we saw happen was it was that one-off where a family member would be in the room. We'd pull them out of the room for a couple minutes. But these have to be separate and distinct services. They have to be pre-planned. Um, and you have to have the consent of the patient or the power of attorney. And that is really important in how we document it, um, making sure we are continually documenting that the patient has agreed to this mode of treatment. And you want to use the term mode of treatment because it's individualized without the patient present face to face. 
So it's a little bit different mode of treatment than we're used to. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, I, I just, I think this is just so important for providing like patient-centered care, you know, person-centered care is is just being able to have all these conversations. It can just be so rich in, in really getting to the long-term goal for the patient. So yeah, thank definitely. you so much. This, this is wonderful. Yeah, definitely. Is there is there anything else coming down the, the Medicare pike or coding changing pike that you want to share with anybody? <laughs> Um, you always seem to like know these things and it's like, who knows this stuff? And it's like, oh, Lisa knows this stuff. Okay, cool. Give me, give me another like three and a half weeks and we might have some more awesome. rumbling, but, uh, awesome, awesome. yeah, hopefully this comes down and hopefully we get a little bit more clarification also on, there were questions about using this code in telehealth. You cannot use this code in telehealth. It is not oh, okay. approved for telehealth. Thank That's you. very important. Um, so when you are thinking about calling a family member to educate them on what's going on, looking at that a little bit differently, maybe scheduling a virtual face-to-face -face versus that telephone call, asking the family to come in. Um, that's still a bit unclear in the definition as to how you do face-to-face -face without the patient present. Um, so for now, it's it's kind of that can we call? Can we not call? We're not really sure. Do we do it and then just get denied later or pre-plan and just ask the family to come in? So uh, Yeah. Yeah. That, well, and I guess that's really tough, right? Because I think, you know, telehealth is so wonderful for some of these like really rural facilities or just, you know, some of our really frail elderly or really just acutely ill patients, right? Like telehealth is wonderful for accessing them, but then to ask their family member or caregiver to drive two hours in to have maybe a 20 minute conversation right. seems really uh, against the the objective here. Yes. Yes. So we're hoping for more clarification on that. They, it was kind of wishy-washy on, on the answers. So <laughs> yeah, but that's, Good, that's awesome. Thank you, Lisa. This been, <laughs> yeah, this has been awesome. Um, anything else you want to, you want to add in, in the realm of productivity? I'm, I'm trying to think of what else you were going to cover in the, the workshop. Um, ask the questions a lot of times, and you know, this, this more comes from my personal experience is a lot of times, a lot of times, unfortunately, our directors, our leads, sometimes they don't know the whys behind the productivity. And sometimes you do need to go up one step above to really have those questions answered. And that's okay. Um, just knowing that it is okay to ask the questions to find the answers that you need and know that just because someone's a director doesn't mean they have all the answers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think that's, that's so hard. Right. And I think what's interesting that I'm, I'm just sort of learning about, I mean, I have all the respect in the world for, for directors and managers and, and I, I do not want that job. I've made that very loud and clear. I do not want to be that person, but I think what's so hard is there's so many pieces of this puzzle to manage, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of times we we as SLPs don't do a good job of communicating, you know, what would look best for this patient, what, what, what would work best for this patient. Instead, we just take what we think they're putting on us. Like, well, they've right. assigned us so many minutes to work on this, but I don't want to work on that. I want to work on this, or I need more minutes doing that, or... I need more times per week doing this. And, and, and that's where this really like crucial conversations come in and really effective communication comes into play because it's not, they're not mind readers either, right? They're not, right. you know, putting minutes on us because they, you know, 
to be mean or nasty. That's just what they might be assuming is what we need. So yeah, um, it's just open communication is is so, so important. And I think that's a lot of half the battle. I, I think it's, you know, we get mean and angry because we think that there's all these limitations put on us when we just don't do a good job of advocating for what we need sometimes. So yeah. And sometimes it's, you know, it's taking that extra step and recognizing, okay, I need to educate myself. I need to have a knowledge base to begin to have those conversations so I can have a basis of understanding and then move forward. Right. 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 Yeah. I think I was just so mind blown learning everything about all the nuances of how to calculate productivity because we just sort of trust this algorithm that lives in a computer that there's no way it could be wrong but like you have to realize that there's people that input this information in the first place and if they don't understand where it came from or how it's calculated you know there's always errors so it's just it's important for you to be on top of it and to know what it should look like for you and and you know to just have those conversations so thank you for sort of bringing all of this to light like I said I just think knowledge is power and once you sort of have the baseline knowledge, then you're able to advocate for, for change if that's what needs to happen. So yeah, definitely. And there are, there are resources, but you know, I, I'm obviously a mentor in the Met SLP collective and, you know, productivity and regulations are my happy place. So <laughs> says no one questions. ever, but Lisa, yes. <laughs> you want to know about a code and how much you can reimburse that percentage? Yes. All right, let's talk about it. You are just the most wonderful unicorn in in the entire world, Lisa. So thank you so much for loving and understanding this stuff. Because I think, you know, there's, I love what we do. We do amazing work. I, you know, we help people eat, drink, communicate. I don't think there's anything more powerful, but it's really easy to get bogged down by the red tape and to think that we can't do things. And sometimes it's just learning how things are done so that we can ask for them to be changed. So yeah, thank you so, so much, my friend. I super appreciate you. Um, you guys want to catch the productivity workshop it's february 19th through the 22nd so if you just dm the word productivity to me at teresa richard slp on instagram or just go to metaslpcollective.com forward slash productivity we can get you signed up for the workshop get you the playbook um there's tons of templates and calculators and just easy to use stuff in the workbook in the playbook that was created for you i think there was about 10 of us that contributed to that so Um, Lots of really, really good stuff that we've been working on for quite a few months because this topic just keeps coming up and and there are ways to make it better. And we don't have to, we don't just have to be at the mercy of the system. There are ways to learn it and understand it and then advocate for change. So thank you again, my friend. I appreciate you so, so much. Thank you so much for having me. And that's a wrap for this episode. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to download the show notes from this episode, please visit swallowyourpridepodcast.com. There you can also sign up for our email list so that you'll never miss another episode. If you do like what you hear, then please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or share it on social media with your friends and colleagues because that is what keeps these episodes coming. If you'd like to be a guest, share feedback, or request a topic to be discussed on the show, please email podcast at teresarichard.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week.